Welcome and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. All right, well, good morning. Welcome. If we have not met, my name is David. I get to be a part of the teaching team here. And as you just saw, we are launching into a new series called Sex by Design. We are looking at the designer and his amazing, beautiful design for man and woman being made in his image, his design and gift of marriage, his design and gift of sexual intimacy. And on that note, my wife and I have had three kids, uh, seven, five, and one prior to a month ago where we learned that we were pregnant with number four. And because of where we're going this morning, we thought you'd let everyone in the room into our world. And this happened this past week where we discovered something about number four that is headed our way. And this is from our family on Tuesday. Hey, Mama, what do you think it is? I think it is a girl. You think it's a girl? Of course. Crew, what do you think it is? Boy. Boy, with your tonsils out. Mama, what do you think it is? I'm kind of leaning boy. Oh, I think it's a girl. Okay, Momo. Are you going to twist it? Let me see. It's kind of hard. Here. Do you and crew want to do it? Momo, you grab here. And you, you don't? Nope. You, don't you want to Okay. All right, ready? One, two, three. Oh, oh it's a girl! It's a girl. <laughs> you gotta love it when a plan comes together. He, uh, he was in tears because it's a girl. He had his tonsils out, so that's why he couldn't talk. And he's in tears, and he said specifically after, quote, I needed another brother because what if my younger brother, Bear, which he currently has, doesn't like sports? I needed a backup. <laughs> his day got ruined as the reveal was not quite what he was hoping for. But I start there because... We're going to open up a topic today that is a tender one, but it is very related to that idea of gender and reveal. And specifically in that case, it didn't go how he wanted it to. And that, in a more serious, real sense, is happening all throughout our world, where people are experiencing a gender reveal, but it doesn't look like that. It's a reveal not going the way you want it to, and people coming to a place of deciding, I don't agree with the gender that was revealed when I was born. And how do we as believers approach this topic? And so today specifically, we're gonna open up and look at God's amazing design for male and female and enter into a conversation around gender and transgender. And this, I come at entirely as a pastor, not as a politician, not as a psychologist, but as someone whose motivation is not profit or power, but people. And I want to look at God's design and how departing from it is really creating a lot of pain. And so let me say, if you're a part of someone who would say you identify with a gender that's not the one that you received at conception, we are so glad you're here. We're so glad you're listening. I want to say unambiguously, you matter to God. You matter to us. And yet at the same time, we think that a lot of the truths the culture is pushing and promoting and suggesting are not gonna help as it relates to this conversation. If anything, they're deceiving and they're damaging and leading to a lot of pain. I know that this is not just some distant issue. It's, for many of us, very personal. 
quite honestly, in studying just enormous amounts of literature and stories, I also know it's a very heartbreaking one. And there are people in the room who've experienced firsthand the pain of seeing their children be deceived, be confused. And it's led to some real pain. And so I want to just open up and look at God's design. And let me also say very clearly, there's only one enemy. And as believers, our responsibility and role is not to be angry at people for what they believe or decisions that they make, sin in their life. But it's also not to affirm sin in their life. Jesus would say in John chapter 8 that it is by the truth and knowing the truth that you and I can step towards freedom. And so we're just going to look at kind of how we got here and open up this conversation and explore the design that God gave us, the departure, the destruction that it's having, and why this is such an important issue that is having real consequences and is going to continue to have real consequences. First, I want to define even this idea of gender, in case you're not familiar. There's been a detachment all across society that, hey, gender and biological sex are two different things. It's continued to be promoted. For example, Medical News Today, on March 31st, 2023, you can see our article of defining this. It says, people often use the term sex and gender interchangeably, but this is incorrect. Sex refers to biological, physical differences, while gender is how people identify Planned Parenthood defines transgender, which is at the heart of this conversation, by saying this, transgender means your gender identity is different from the gender that the doctor gave you when you were born. Let me hit pause. That in and of itself is a false statement. The doctor doesn't give anybody a gender. The doctor can reveal it, but God gives it. Based on the way your body looks, the label is called sex assigned at birth. Again, inaccurate. Sex is assigned by God at conception. And I know this message, and I'm going to do my best, and will, sadly, I think still probably fail to communicate adequately God's incredible love for you, no matter your story. And yet also how this is having some real world devastating impacts on our culture. And it's going to continue to be the case. And I hope that you, the primary reason, just in reading all the literature and often why people make this decision to transition, it means to move from one gender to the next, is because they're looking for love, for acceptance, and for a community that will help them change. There is no body or group of people on the planet that is designed, equipped, and able to do that better than the body of Christ. And so whatever your story is, we're glad you're here. You matter to God, and you matter to us because of that. But we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. And we're going to dive in and look at these things and explore God's design. And just like in any scenario, anytime we depart in any subject from God's design, there's real consequences that come. And we're going to explore what those are. So Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible, you can flip there. If not, it'll be up on the screen. And we're going to look at the designer and his design. Because in this passage, chapter 1, verse 26 through 28, there's some amazing incredible truths, realities that God on page one of the Bible gives us and how important they are and how much they have to do with you and me and people. It says this, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God gave them Gave and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. On page one of the Bible, we see the designer and his design. And in doing so, it's created order of man and woman. We see some incredible truths. There's four quickly that we see of how he created. The first that we see in God's design and the designer is God establishing equality. That he creates man and woman, male and female. The image of God is seen in humanity, not in men or exclusively in women or exclusively in men. It is seen in both. That both the distinctions, the feminine and masculine, bring into our world and are made in the image of God. That if you take one away, it's incomplete reflecting the image of God because male and female. We're also informed they're equal because they're both created by God. Uniquely from all creation, both created by the same person. They are distinct. We're going to look at those distinctions in weeks ahead of biblical idea of masculinity and femininity. But first thing we see, page one, man and woman, equal. We also see their value. The man and woman are also incredibly valuable because they, distinct from all other creation, are made in the image of God. We learn through the cross in Christ that it is such a value to God that he would give his own life, but man and woman are incredibly valuable. You, unlike everything else, was fashioned by God. The third thing that we see is their identity. There's a lot of talk about identity today, and hey, you need to find your identity, or what do you identify as? And as believers, we understand identity is something that was given. It is given. You have a God-given identity. Here's what it is. You are an image bearer of God. If you're a woman, you are an image bearer of God. If you're a man, you are an image bearer of God. There is no title that you will ever have in life that will eclipse that one. Here's what I mean. You may be the CEO of your company. You may be the most successful person that ever played sports at your high school. Whatever you accomplish in life is insignificant in comparison to the fact that you are an image bearer of God Almighty. Think of it like this. You know the royal family? Um, What's some of the names of the royal family? The ones that didn't run away from the family. Whatever the names of the king and queen. Do you know inside of the royal family, the British royal family, they often, they work jobs. They'll, they'll be in part of investment firms or they're a part of kind of taking and stewarding the funds that the royal family has. So they're going to jobs and they're an analyst on different oil refineries that they're invested in. The highest title that Prince whoever has and will ever have is not analyst over refinery. Why? Because you're a royal. There's not a title you're going to have in life that's going to eclipse that. Other than you are an image bearer of God. No matter your story, what you've done, what you believe, you were made in the image of God. So we see identity, and finally we see purpose. In verse 28, it says that he gave to them, said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, that God gave them purpose and the call to bring order, to fill the earth and bring order to it. So page one, we see God's design is man and woman made in his image, male and female. That's his design. So as it relates to gender, that informs. And let me see, do a quick side note because it may not be relevant to this room, but anybody listening, this is always where the conversation goes as it relates to this issue. So here's what I want to quickly say. People will debunk, hey, it's not just male and female, and we know that because there's something called intersex. Now let me remind what intersex is or, or inform, if you haven't heard that term, and bring clarity to even what that is. Intersex is something that informs or impacts 0.02% of the population, which is still people. 
And people suggest that because, hey, there's not just male and female, what about this middle category that they have built this entire understanding of human gender and sexuality off of? Well, here's what intersex is. It's actually chromosomal disorders, Kleinfelter's syndrome. What's Kleinfelter's? It's where you're born with not XY, but XXY. Or Turner's syndrome. What's Turner's syndrome? It's where you're born not as a female with XX, but with just X. Now, here's what's also true about intersex, and this comes from Intersex Association of North America. We are not a third gender. We are not for the dismantling of gender. In fact, unambiguously, almost all, 99.9% of people who are intersex or have a chromosomal disorder are unambiguously male or female. Someone with Kleinfelters would just look like a male, despite having the presence of an extra chromosomal disorder. And I say that because that's quickly where anyone in this conversation is going to move to. Hey, you, you're uninformed because you don't know about intersex. Now you do. Typically, they don't know about intersex. So that's God's design, and it's a beautiful, incredible design. And when we depart from it, real pain happens. We know that in Genesis 3, after this created order, man did depart from it, and tragically, a lot of pain entered the world. Paul describes the consequences of rebelling against God and what happens in Romans chapter 1. And he says this in verse 18, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness or godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. He then lays out what that wrath looks like, and it's not lightning bolts. It's God allowing people to reject him and run from him. Therefore, God gave them over to the sinful desires of their heart, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. What was the lie? That you can be God. You can be your own God. And in doing so, they worshiped and served creator things rather than the creator who's forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to sinful or shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. And in the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men, received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not see or think it was worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind. So they do what ought not be done. Paul says, when a culture rejects God, they become deceived and depraved in any direction, around anything. And when a culture rejects God, they become deceived and depraved. There's a lot of language that would say, if you're here in this conversation, hey, gender's a moral, or I'm sorry, it's a social construct. Here's the reality and why we start with the designer. Because if there is no God, if you reject God, everything is a social construct. Every law that we think is right, and slavery is wrong. Slavery is a social construct, and also thinking it's wrong is a social construct. Unless there's a designer, and man is made in his image, and man has incredible value, which would mean there is such thing as good and evil, there is such thing as right and wrong, there is such thing as male and female. And there's a lot of confusion, and quite honestly, just a lot of pain that is being introduced and being promoted and pushed from the films we watch to the government that we have to the schools that many are a part of. And I want to trace some of the departure and how it, we got here. Because maybe you, you kind of go like, how did we get here? All of a sudden, people, you know, you have women participating or men, uh, biological males participating in women's sports and just all this confusion. It's happened so fast. What happened? And it's really something that's been going on for a long time. And it is a result of just like in any Scenario, if you reject God and in the knowledge of God, you are headed and I am headed towards a path of chaos. 
So as it relates to this idea of where this came from, there's really some founding fathers that have introduced and are responsible for a lot of the thinking that has seeped into how we think about sexuality, how we think about gender revolution, how we think about sex in general. And the first would be Sigmund Freud. You may remember this guy who's was a part of your one class you took in psychology in college, but Freud was a founder in the field of psychology, the father of psychology. He introduced a theory that would be uh, built upon by another guy, but Freud's theory was that, hey, the whole world, the drive of humanity is sexual desire. That and people are sexual beings from birth to the end of their life. The children are sexual beings and they go through different stages of sexual development and sexual desire. And while most of Freud's stuff was debunked, including that one, it also had people that would come after and begin to build on it. And the second father, and more important, is this man, Alfred Kinsey. Alfred Kinsey has been called by New York Times the father of the sexual revolution. He was a sexologist, really introduced this field at the University of Indiana, and he wanted to study and interview the sexual lives of Americans. So he spent years, in his words, studying thousands and thousands of different Americans, and he introduced a work that would transform our world. In fact, let me read another researcher and sociologist on this work. He says this about Alfred Kinsey's book that he published. The history of sex in America falls into two large, unequal, yet clearly defined periods. The first era, belonging to the Puritans, the Victorians, and related figures of restraint and misery. People who were supposed to battle their urges. This lasted until January 4th, 1948. The following day, Professor Albert C. Kinsey of Indiana published Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, whereupon, as the expression has it, the earth moved. His book, Sexual Behavior in the Human Male, was instantly a bestseller. I mean, thousands and thousands of copies sold, and Americans were introduced to the real sexual lives of their country, of the people that they existed around. I mean, stats were so sensational, it was, it was hard to believe. He captured data, and he said in his data things like, 67 to 98% of men had premarital sex. 70% of men had prostitute or had sex with one, at least one prostitute. 50% of men cheated in their marriage. 50% of farm boys or people who lived on farm had sex with animals. Homosexuality was prevalent between 10 to 37%. He traced sexuality of every age of males, children as young as two months old. Basically, in the American psyche, he suggested Everyone is living a double life. On the outside, it all looks like Lucille Ball and Ricky Ricardo and everything's pure, but behind closed doors, Americans are much more sexually deviant. His practices and methods became the sexual standard for an entire field, impacting, and his legacy continues to this day. His language of hey, sexualization is something entirely or is all about from every age. In his words, from womb to tomb, we are sexual beings. He would introduce the idea of born this way. His legacy continues to this day. It set up the sexual revolution. And part of that was because a young man who read that book at the age of 22, he was a virgin until he got married at 22, and then he read Kinsey's work and discovered Americans are obsessed with sexuality. I mean, this, I, I bought a lie, so I'm going to give my life to promoting and encouraging, and in his words, being the pamphleteer for Alfred Kinsey. His name was Hugh Hefner who would introduce the world because of Kinsey to Playboy. It's hard to overstate the impact that he had. Tragically, it was all based on a lie. 
Two decades after, they would discover Kinsey had falsified all of the research. He claimed to be interviewing average American males, but it turned out 86% of the people that he interviewed were felons, homosexuals, 1,400 convicted sex offenders in prison, 200 sexual psychopaths in psychiatric worlds, wards, and 600 sexually abused boys. That he had totally lied to the American people. And yet, the damage had been done. The lie had been spread. People were hypersexual. People were having affairs. And he forever transformed America based on lies. Which is why when you hear stats like that, you're like, that's so, how could people believe that? And that setting up the sexual revolution that would happen in the 60s and the evolution of no-fault divorce and passage of abortion and the introduction of mass spread birth control all created a storm and a climate for the sexual relationship sexual revolution that we're still walking and dealing with the impact today. And it set the stage for the next revolution, which is the gender revolution. It was a guy who worked with Kinsey. His name was John Money. He's the third founding father of the sexual gender ideology movement. John Money was a psychologist at John Hopkins University, and he had an interesting theory. John believed gender was a social construct. In fact, one child and adolescent psychiatric a uh, person, Miriam Grossman, said, the person who came up with this idea of gender theory was John, Dr. John Money. He came up with the idea that a person's biology, their body, their chromosomes, is completely separate from their feeling of whether they're male or female. Money believed if you could just get a hold of a child young enough, you could raise it in any gender that you chose. Even if it was born a boy, if you could get a hold of it young enough and you could teach it and condition it to be a girl and put it in dresses and grow its hair out and encourage it to be a girl, he could, they could go on to live a healthy, functioning life as an adult. He proved, so he said, by conducting an experiment with two twin boys that at eight months old, one of which was a boy who went in to get a circumcision and tragically a botched circumcision left him with out of penis. And the parents, who at the time didn't know John Money, they're heartbroken. We have two twins, so they didn't circumcise the other child. And what, what do you do? I mean, they're just reeling in shock and heartbreak. And it's the 1960s. So they go home, and in their grief, they're watching the television. And on television, there's a psychologist being interviewed with a radical new idea or ideology, John Money promoting if you could just get a hold of the child early enough in life, then you could raise him. And so they decided we're going to reach out and go see Dr. Money because maybe we could raise this little boy as a girl and, and everything would be fine and healthy. So they went and see him. And for John Money, this was the gold mine of opportunity for psychological research. He could prove his theory. You got two twins, identical twins, that if I could raise one of them as a girl, then I could prove my theory was correct. His name was Bruce and Money said, change his name to Brenda, and we'll do ongoing psychological therapy sessions with him and raise him to be a girl. And he promoted this idea to the world, and he told the world, he used pseudonyms of John and Joan, the John and Joan Experiment Brothers. It worked. I have proven that gender is a social construct. If you can get a hold of a child early enough in life, you can raise him to be a healthy, functioning female. And I've done it with these two girls and boys. The lie began to spread until... The truth came out. But by then, the lie was very widespread. 
Bruce, who had his name changed to Brenda, was always wrestling with, I don't feel like I'm a girl. I don't feel like I'm a girl. I don't feel like I'm a girl. Till the age of 14, where he told his parents, I'm not going back to see that psychologist. If you make me go again, I will kill myself. So the parents stopped. And they finally told him the truth. You were born a boy. He felt instant relief. I mean, his life was totally just taken from him. And he decided, I'm going to change my name, not back to Bruce, but to David. Because I've felt my whole life like I'm fighting the giant of Goliath, of people telling me to be something I've never felt like I was. Money never owned the fact that he had lied to the American people. He had promoted this, but by that time, it had infiltrated the thinking around this field. It's this line of thinking that is still infiltrated and being promoted all across our world. Tragically, David, because of the trauma he experienced, would go on to commit suicide at age 38. So would his twin brother. And yet this lie had broken open. What's tr- even more tragic is money. Everyone has a story. You know, why would John Money be so, why would you introduce the world to that? Because he had a story. He grew up in a broken home and he was violently beaten by his dad. And he saw his dad violently beat his mom. And so he decided, I want to be anything but male. He even wrote in his literature, I bear the vile mark of being a man. He wrote again, I wonder if the world would be a better place if all men were just castrated. And out of that brokenness, he introduced the world and promoted a brokenness, and it spread like wildfire. That's how we got here. And it continues to be promoted, which is why a recent New York Times poll showed that 60% of Americans that are over the age of 30, between 30 and 40 specifically, believe that gender and biological sex are the same. 60% of those who are 18 to 29 believe they're different. This ideology began to spread and spread and is still being promoted and encouraged in classrooms in many schools across the country. Hollywood has promoted it. The government has begun to mandate it, and it is having some real damaging effects. In fact, my wife, this is close to home, in 2013, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual for Mental Disorders, which is called DSM, it's basically what counselors, psychotherapists use to help, hey, how do I treat this different disorder? They changed gender identity disorder from a disorder to dysmorphia. Because if it's a disorder, then you'd have to treat and help people with the psychological aspect that you may feel like a woman, but you're not actually a woman, you're a man, you were born a man. Today, counselors can lose their license if they do that. They're too affirm. Anything else would be conversion therapy. And most heartbreaking, it is destroying a generation And it's going to have real impact and effects for a long time. My son had his tonsils out, as you saw. And one thing I realized, I never had my tonsils out. And, you know, different people told us different things about how rough it would be, you know, the days after. And other people were like, oh, no, they bounced right back. And so we didn't know quite what to do. But it was, like, brutal on him. So the day after his surgery, we're having to, like, hold him down and force him to drink liquid because we know, hey, if you don't drink water, you're going to get dehydrated. You're going to end up in the hospital. I don't want to drink water. It hurts too bad. I don't want. But like any loving parent, I don't, it's not loving to not have you drink water because I know the effects. And even though you can't believe me and you don't always feel that way, that's true. And it is not a loving thing to encourage, promote, What is happening, regardless of the feelings? And those feelings are real. Gender dysphoria is a real. And if you struggle with that, man, there is hope and healing in Christ. We love you and are so glad that you're here. 
And those are, it's painful in reading the personal stories of people who wrestle with that. But there is hope and healing, but it doesn't come from the solutions our world is promoting. What do I mean by the damage? And I don't have time. All of this will be available in the notes of the podcast. If you listen to this at a future time, or if you listen on YouTube, it'll be in the description. You can get all of the links and all the, the data and stats because I'm going to have to fly through this. And you can go back and you can check my research yourself. Here's the future that we're robbing them of. We are robbing them of their future because if you put a child on hormone blockers and you put them on cross hormones, if they're a girl, put them on testosterone, a guy, put them on estrogen, you instantly make them infertile. You are robbing them of their ability to have future children. In fact, you're robbing them of something that by all studies have shown they would grow out of if it was let to run its natural course. This comes from the Journal of American Academy in Adolescent Psychiatry. It says, of the 11 clinical studies where children referred, were referred for gender dysphoria, between 74% and 88%, this is without the church, this is without Christ, this is without anything, between 74% to 88% of those children who thought I identify with another gender grew out of it by the end of their adolescence. By the time they got to the end of puberty, they were just in a confused state. You know what the most growing group among this transgender movement is? Young teenage girls. And it is heartbreaking. And women are at 14 being encouraged to transition and then they're waking up at 18 and saying, I was just confused going through puberty and now my breasts are gone and now I'll never have children. Where were the adults that told me this would happen? Rather than pushing and promoting and encouraging me. Go into Reddit and type in D-trans and it is heartbreaking. The stories of people who have had their life taken from them. You've been told maybe like I have, hey, if you don't transition, if they don't, then suicide, they'll kill themselves. Do you want a dead son or a living daughter? Which is a lie. The most rigorous study that was done by Sweden on the increased rates of suicide found that after transitioning surgically or hormonally, rates of suicide for post-operatives was five times more frequent than those who were not treated. Furthermore, 10 years after the study, the likelihood of death by suicide grew 19 times. That's from the Karolinska Institute of Gotham University, Gothenburg University in Sweden. That you are encouraging the sterilization of a generation a lot more lives are going to be lost. And it's opening, quite frankly, a gateway to pedophilia. Because if a five-year-old can say, I'm sexually not the way that it looks. I have the sexual understanding to decide to change permanently my gender. It's a gateway to them also having the sexual awareness to say, I'm attracted to older people. People outside of my age group. And it is crippling a generation. And Gen Z is the sex experiment that is being acted on. I mean, if you had a friend that was going to move to a city, and in that city, they were telling you about it, and they also told you, hey, it's a beautiful city, it's a great city, but I'm going to be 19 times more likely to die from suicide. I will require medication for the rest of my life, which it is. Hormones, if you don't stop, it reverses. I am going to no longer be able to have kids. I'll never be out of children. And my likelihood of killing myself dramatically rises. Would you say it is loving to encourage you should move to that city? Of course not. But that's exactly what is happening. So that's a lot, and that's all the things that are going. And furthermore, the reason why this is... So 
tragic is led many nations, the U.S. not being one of them, like U.K., Switzerland, Sweden, Finland, which has all said, hey, we cannot keep doing this to children. There's not enough knowledge, and the damage that is being done far outweighs the benefits. That when Sweden and Finland are looking and saying, and America has lost their mind, it reflects that America has lost their mind. And God is not angry, and God's design is beautiful, and God designed people to have male and, sexual, or male and female sexuality, and his heart, no matter if you agree with any of the things I've said, is for you. He loves you. We believe there's real help, and we see you, and you matter to us. But it is crippling to you and to anyone, to all those that are a part of it, as many parents who have lost their children to this know. So let me close and just give really quickly, here's five things that we can do and five things that I think will leave us with hope. The first, just practical, is to live fully devoted to Christ. Like, hey, as believers, prioritizing the battle and sin in our own lives. Like, just to be honest, there's a lot more pornography being looked at in here than there is transgender across the room. And that's an offense to God. And maybe the most God-honoring thing you can do at a message like this is just bring that into the light with your community group and to live openly, to prioritize full devotion, to live as 2 Peter chapter 3 says, holy lives as we wait Christ's return. Second thing is to hold on to what is true. Let me give you three truths. God designed us male and female. God designed each person with beauty and purpose. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No matter your story, no matter what you've done, no matter where you are. And number three, God loves all people. He died for all people to save all who call on the name of the Lord through Jesus Christ, Romans 10, 9. Number three, the other thing we can do is to fight for a healthy home. Deuteronomy 6 says, these commandments, God's word, I give you to write on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk to them about when you sit up and when you walk, when you lie down, when you get up, that you and I have a responsibility to protect and provide for our kids, that you should know and you should introduce, you should be the, primary and proactively teaching about sexuality and God's amazing, incredible design for sex and marriage and also male and female. There's a tendency to be afraid of being a helicopter parent for whatever reason today, and some of that's probably healthy. But when it comes to what they're looking at and their phone and their conversations and their text threads and the apps that they're on, you should be a helicopter parent. You should be an F-22 fighter jet parent over the lives of your kid's phone. You do not need to respect the privacy of an 11-year-old on their phone. You need to invest and look, and if they're deleting their search history, they don't get a phone anymore, that you are God's provision and protection from wolves that are looking to destroy him. First Peter chapter five says, Satan looks to devour, and he's looking to devour your kids. And God has placed you there to lovingly protect them and to introduce them to God's incredible design. Number four, love all people. Like I said, that community is looking for love and acceptance and a community to help them change. And I think you're going to find that's exactly what God created and put the church here to be a part of. But not to make them less like who God made them to be, but more like the incredible man or woman God created them to be. And finally, just have hope. That we have hope knowing that the gates of hell, Jesus will build his church. This is not an issue that... Uh, the true church is going to lose on. In other words, 200 years, if Jesus doesn't come back, there will be men and women gathered in rooms, maybe much smaller than this, maybe much bigger, that are going to teach and hold to the Bible because we know who wins in the end. They're going to teach and hold on to the scriptural truth, the true church. There's a lot of churches that claim to be a church that already are not teaching what God says, but the true church will, and we get to rest in the confidence that he 
wins. I, um, I have a friend who started a law firm that was a result of just story after story of people who at 14, they decided I'm going to transition and they woke up at 18 and they just so feel like their life was taken from them and nobody spoke up and counselors encouraged it. And they started a detransitioning. It's when you transition back to your biological sex, it's called detransitioning. It's detrans law firm. And he shared something about just the clients they work with. It was so heartbreaking. It's anecdotal and yet it's certainly the case for them. Every one of the clients that they work with, men who had confusion and transitioned and then woke up and said, that's not true. I, wanna, I was a girl. I'm born a girl. Or vice versa with a guy. Was sexually abused. Now, I'm not saying that that's the case for every person who is transgender or has that in their story. I'm saying every person has a story. And out of that brokenness, they, they would say, led me to make a decision that has changed my life. And I feel like taking it from me. And, I, and if you're listening, you're here. I know you have a story. And our response to that story is the same response that Christ had towards us. That no matter what it is, God loves you, cares for you, died for you, and offers hope and healing through him and his people. And we want to help. And we want to serve and care. My son, I'll close with this. A few years ago, we were talking about currency, and I think every one of you were handed a penny on the way in. The reason is, is a couple years ago, I was trying to explain the differences in currency. And to like a four-year-old, you know, I was confronted with how bizarre just the numerical system and whoever came up with the different size coins in America is. Because you can't go, hey, the bigger it is, the more it's worth. Because the nickel is worth half of what a dime is, and the dime is the smallest of them all. So you can't go on size. Uh, you can't go on color because the color doesn't communicate the value of that coin. There's really one thing that I said you can for sure know its value. I'm teaching him this. It's, it's whose ever image is on there. If you see his image, that's Abraham Lincoln. You see his image, you know this is worth a penny. You know the value of it because you can see the image on it. And the tragedy behind this whole thing is that when God looks at humanity, whatever you identify as or whatever you think of, here's whose image and here's whose value or here's how valuable you are to him because you bear the image of God Almighty. And every time that he sees you and every person that you ever see is someone who you can instantly know here's the, the value they have because of the image printed on them, which is not that of a coin, but that of God himself. And that's how valuable you are to the point where God would give his own life on a cross, dying for you, giving, saying, whatever the cost, I will pay it, even the life of my one and only son. Here's what also is interesting about a penny. You know, no matter how dirty a penny gets, no matter where it's been, because currency's been a lot of places. There's you know, currency thrown in the trash that people resurface and they find. You'll discover not all of them are really shiny. Some of them are dirty, some of them are broken. And yet it doesn't diminish the value of that penny. And whatever your story is, whatever you're wrestling with, whatever you believe about yourself, whatever gutters of life you have been through, or you may find yourself, or you are in right now, it doesn't diminish your value because your value is fixed. It comes from being made in the image of God. You are a divine image bearer. If you're a female, if you're a male, you have value. You matter to God. You matter to us. And you matter to him so much he'd give his life on a cross to have a relationship with you. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, 
check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.